Amen. Thank you, Patty and Noah. Beautiful song. Awesome call to worship. So this morning, I don't have my face mic, so I'm a little, feel a little out of place because I've had it for decades, but it's on the disabled list. So I'm, I'm confined to this. So I'll, I'll do the best I can to stay in front of it, but something feels a little bit off with this this morning. But it's good to see everybody here. Looks like um, we survived the storm. Just got a lot of rain and there's more to come. But had a good time here Friday night. If you were here, you would realize that. We ate well. We fellowshiped well. And uh, we, had, we just had a good time in the Lord making connections. Um, as Kevin mentioned, this is our, our communion Sunday where we just changed the order of our service a little bit. And we have an opening song and then the message. And then after the message, we'll worship and come to the Lord's table and and celebrate that together as well. So I want to start by reading a scripture that um, probably won't make sense or seem like it has any or much to do with the message until the very end. Um, And I'm going to actually read out the NIV this morning feel funny about doing that as well, because I'm an ESV guy, but um, I just wanted to read out of the NIV, and it's in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're in a covenant class series. All of the information can be found online, and we are in the section to get to pertaining to the church. So we've been talking about church doctrine. We've been talking a lot about the church, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about the church this morning. And the topic I want to broach is not in the covenant class material, but as I thought about the church, I wanted to touch on this before I moved on. And I wanted to look at a very common question that's often asked when we start to try to wrestle in our minds and our heads, you know, what is is the church? And one of the things that often comes up is, is is the church a, a place or a people? Because it can be a little bit confusing. Is a church a place or a people? So I want to kind of flesh that out a little bit from a big picture standpoint this morning. And I think it's important because where we land on that Uh, We can land in a healthy place, in a healthy understanding, but I think we can also, if we define the the church as the people that we can neglect the place, or as we define the church as the place that we can neglect the people. So I want to kind of navigate that, and I want to talk about the importance of being called as the people of God, and then kind of segue, if you'll track with me, uh, you'll find that I believe in the importance of the place in which the people of God meet in order to worship Him. So that's where I'm headed, but it can be confusing. So perhaps this morning you told your kids, we're going to church. 
and you got in your car and you drove to a specific destination, this place. And when you're here, you have arrived at church. So in one sense, it seems like the church may be a destination. It may be a location or a place. We call this our church. So what is the church? Is it a building or a place? Is it the, just the people that uh, attend that place? Is it a little bit of both? How do we make sense out of that? If we go back to a definition I really like by Wayne Grudem that, uh, of the church, because it's such a big topic, but he defines the church as this, and we've gone over this in the past. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. And I really like that definition because it's just simple, it's succinct, but it's conclusive because it's true. The church consists of the people of God. No matter when they became the people of God, that's what the church is. So the the church, when you define it that way, existed in the Old Testament, it exists in the New Testament, and that's what Christ will bring up to heaven when he comes to, uh, to, to get his bride, to retrieve his bride. It's the church. So when I ask this question, I am thinking that you probably in your head answered when I said, is it the people of the church? You probably said, and I hope you said, oh, no, it's not the, the, the place. It's the people. And I think you would be, you would be correct. The church... Properly understood is the people of God, called by God throughout the ages, Old Testament, New Testament, before Christ, after Christ. It consists of people who have purposed to put their faith and their trust in Christ or in God um, because they recognize he exists. They recognize their need for him. There's an awareness that if he does exist, he's holy, he's bigger than I am, he's worthy. And when I look at my life and the things I do and my thoughts, they're so wimpy and, and, and they fail in light of him. Something has to be done in order to bring me to this level to even be able to relate with him. So to be called by God is to have an awareness of our need for God. And we need God for everything. We need God for everything. We need God to plant a garden. I mean, God created soil. He created the rain. He created the, the sunshine. Everything that, that we have in order to prosper in any kind of way has been created by God. Uh, we have our bodies created by God. So I think an important part of being called by God and understanding our relationship with him is, is that we have this awareness. You know, we need God for direction. We pray to God when we need jobs, when we need to be able to pay our bills, when we have health issues and scares and tragedies uh, during this recent storm. How many prayers went up to the Lord? We recognize we're small and he's big. We just need him. But our biggest need and what brings us to God is that we recognize our need for salvation. We don't cut it. We just don't cut it. And and, and God gives us this awareness as we look around in the world how things really work. And so we need to be reconciled to God as we learn in, in the book of 2 Corinthians. What we need most is our forgiveness. And this, these things are, a, are 
come to us as true believers. It's just an awareness that the Holy Spirit gives us. He connects the dots for us. You know, I think it takes either a, a lot of ignorance or a lot of nerve to begin to go and ask God for things before we have acknowledged our place in His sight, before we have acknowledged that we have ransacked His name and His kingdom and, and things that He has given us. If you think about it in these terms, it's just kind of a, a thought that popped into my mind. Because I did that before I was a believer. I related to God without taking care of my need for forgiveness to be right with God, to be reconciled with God. And that is hubris. That's pride to think that, we can, that he would want to do things for us without first being in right standing with him. He's a gracious God and he works graciously with believers and unbelievers. But on our, from our standpoint, it's either from a place of ignorance or just having a lot of nerve to ask God for help when we have not repented in sackcloth and ashes for the way that we have ransacked his kingdom, for the way that we ransack ourselves because of our sin nature. We ransack our loved ones, our relationships, our, sometimes our marriages, our, our families, our, our habitat, our communities. So we, we ransack God and his work and part of becoming the people of God involves recognizing that about ourselves. Who we really, really are. And we are fallen creatures. So if you begin to track with me, this is what men and women did throughout the ages. They recognized who God was, who they were, and their sin and their need for Him to be in right standing. Adam and Eve were the first. They realized, of course, they were the first to fall as well. They realized their need. They were hiding from God. They saw the difference now. He's holy. I don't know how to relate to him anymore now that I am in a fallen condition. So the people of God would start with Adam and Eve, and the people of God will end with, interestingly, I don't know who. But there will come a time when the very last person will confess Christ and their need for Christ. And then Christ will descend and bring his people up. So there's a first, there's also a last. And that's why Hebrews says, today's a day of salvation because we don't know who the last one is. <clears throat> so we're tracking this when, in the sense that the, the people of God have this awareness. They've called out to Him and they've worshipped Him through the ages. And we have to worship God, the right God, in the right way. As God gives revelation, we, the first people of God didn't have all that we have, this revelation. We have the complete book. They worship God faith, faithfully and obediently according to the revelation that they were given. That is our requirement as well. So that happened with every generation. As God disclosed the truth, he disclosed his character, he disclosed or, or revealed really kind of pulling back the curtain is, is what it is. Because God's plan was set before the foundation of the world. It's not like he's kind of making this up as he goes. It's, so he pulls back the curtain of revelation and he tells us, 
how to worship him, who he is. And so each generation is accountable to do that. But we think about in the old, old times, in Genesis, you had our forefathers. They worshipped him. They would set up altars. Now, they were specific places. But when they, when they felt the need that they ought to worship God in a certain way with their sacrifices, they would erect an altar. It wasn't something they did every day. Or sometimes they would come back to that same place and worship God. Later, as Revelation come, came, God revealed to Moses and the people of Israel how he wanted to be worshipped the proper way. And that was through uh, the, the tent or the tabernacle. So God instructed the people how he can be adored, how they can love him, how they can be in right standing with him through the shedding of blood. That's what they knew at that time. So Moses and the people of Israel in that era, they didn't have the book of Psalms to turn to for comfort. They didn't have the kings and the prophets all the things that we have in the Old Testament, they, didn't, they couldn't turn to that. That was not yet written or revealed. But God is so good and God is so creative and God is so clever that as he reveals things through the ages of how we should worship him in the today, he always gives hints of what he's going to do next. He gives little hints of things, this is how it is now, but this is what to come. This is what will come. And scholars often call it the, the thread of redemption that's woven throughout the scripture. So you can see the acts of God of saving, uh, bringing the Savior into the world. And it's not always real clear. It's not as clear as we would like it. But there are hints that are enough for us to live in anticipation and excitement that God is good. I think of say, in our instance, of heaven. We have hints. We have, we have tidbits in Scripture that's telling us what something's going to be like that we've never experienced before. We just have to try to use our imagine, imaginations and, and piece together these things. We're just not going to get the whole picture until it happens. But God is good and gracious to us <clears throat> in that way. So even in the, in the tabernacle worship, there were hints... That a day would come when the, ta- the temple would be more permanent. And then there were hints that the temple would not be a place, but that hearts would be the place that God would dwell. Hearts would be changed in such a radical way. They would be so cleansed, and we know, cleansed by the blood of Christ. Such a complete work in an individual the old is gone, the new has come because we are new creations. That God will dwell in human being. Christ has accomplished that. We had hints all throughout the Revelation. Now, of course, in the New Testament, we know that to be true. So as we think about the people of God, a church or a place, a dwelling place to worship God, in the New Testament, we became the temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, the apostle says to this church that we know well now, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? How profound is that? Can you imagine that you are God's temple? So when we think about the people of God, yes, the answer is 
the, the church consists of the people of God. If this building were to burn down, we're not closed down. We're no, it's not like we're, oh, we're no longer church. So we don't have a place to meet. We just build another one. People do it all the time. We can have church here. We can be the people of God here. We can go to the pavilion and worship God there, officially as a church. We could worship God and be the people of God in a barn. We can practice the sacraments uh, in a home, underground, or in catacombs, as the very early persecuted church did. They worshiped, they hid in catacombs because they feared for their lives. And they, they made disciples and did church in the catacombs. Um, when John Hutchison came from Frontline Ministries International and spoke to us, he gifted us with a, a picture of um, about 25 to 30 Russians. If you were here, you may have recalled that. I actually have it hanging in my office. I thought about bringing it, but you wouldn't be able to really see from where you're seated. There's 25, 30 Russians, and they are in snow-covered woods, deep snow, and they're worshiping. They're having a church service outside, freezing cold, because it was too risky they, to, to meet in public. Uh, they, they could lose their lives in this air. That was church. They, they exalted God. They worshiped God. They, they practiced the sacraments in that. God inhabits the praises of his people. However... The place of worship also has a place of significance with the people of God. So the place has something to do with the people of God as we meet and as we gather. In order to be be the people of God, we have to meet somewhere. Right? We have to have a place, whether it's in the woods, whether it's inside, whether it's in a barn, in order to joyfully and willingly worship the Lord. And I think as you tracks as you as you see how this transpires in scripture there is a a sacredness that comes about when the people of God worship God in a place. Something special happens at that time and that moment because now you have the divine God of heaven with you. So that changes things. A good example is in Exodus 3, 5, when Moses, he's, you know, he, he's left his people. He's out in the wilderness, um, feeling like a failure because he murdered an Egyptian and so forth. But God has a call in his life, and God appears to him in the burning bush. And notice the transaction that takes place. God says, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, this is wilderness, uh, wilderness terrain. It could be rocky, sandy, whatever. It's not like an oasis. And yet it was holy because of the presence of God. That place was special. When the burning bush disappeared, when God's presence was, was gone, not so much. But we see the same thing when we talk about the place of the temple. There were very specific instructions 
not just in how to worship God with the sacrifices and the, the atoning blood, but with the construction. The construction of the tabernacle, the temple, was very important to God. The colors, the design, he designed it. He was the architect. He had something in mind as the people would come from far off and we had a, a call to worship. And Noah read us a psalm. That's how they did it. They came singing the psalms as a call to worship and they would come to the, to the temple ready to worship the Lord, ready to offer their sacrifice. And they had different courts. There's the different systems, different symbols of cleansing. So there were material things that recognized spiritual things they're not the same, but they're important. They're intertwined. So we think about the Old Testament saints working, uh, worshiping on makeshift offers and then the tabernacle. But that's how you worship him. He, they were called to worship him in that way at that time. So the place has some kind of significance, I would say. So let's see what Jesus says about this because people in the days of Jesus also were wrestled with this idea of the importance of the place. What is the importance of the place? And now we're going to kind of lean back on the people of God when Jesus says in John 4, 20 to 24. This is the, the woman at the well. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say... That in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So what did Jesus just do? He made the priority. The importance of worship is about the person's relationship with God. It's about the heart, spirit and truth. It's not so much... The greatest priority is not this mountain or that mountain or this place or that place. The greatest priority, Jesus makes it clear, is that our hearts are in right standing with God. Otherwise, you could have a beautiful place, but true worship is not taking place. This happened in the temple and in the tabernacle with some individuals whose hearts were not right with God. That was not true worship. However, when we think about the true worshipers, God summons us to gather and to worship him in some place. We have, to, we have to figure that out. If you're summoned to court, you don't get to stay home. You're summoned to fulfill a duty or a responsibility. And there is a sense in our calling of God, we are summoned to be God's people to perform responsibilities. We have duties we have good deeds, we talked about even this morning, that we are to achieve for the glory of God. Not for ourselves, through the, but through the power of God and for the glory of God. So as we think about being the people of God, we have to think about gathering as the people of God. And we think about that, there needs to be a place, there needs to be 
a place. So even heaven, if we think about how important is a place, heaven is a place. It's not like the commercials where it's just a feeling or something immaterial. Heaven is a materialized place. We sang this morning that God has a throne. God is spirit, but heaven is a place where we will go and and be and and, and exist and have our being. So places, I guess my point is, have some significance in our dynamic in how we relate to God and be the people of God. So I'm spending some time on this this morning because I think that our modern understanding of church often neglects the significance of or the importance of the place and even of the people of God gathered in a place. Because we live in such an individualistic culture where everything is about me, I've heard people say, uh, I can have church anywhere. I can have church by myself. I, I have church when I'm paddling down the river Sunday morning or when I'm throwing my fishing rod into the water or when I'm up on a mountain enjoying the, the beauty. Now, those are personal, personal and they can be spiritual experiences and we can personally worship God and benefit, benefit from it, but that is not church because God defines church as the people gathered He designed us just like the Old Testament had a design with duties. The New Testament people do as well. He appoints people. He gifts people with certain abilities so that his purpose will come about when the people of God gather. So we want to hold on to this idea of defining church as the community of believers. We don't want to let that go in our individualistic culture. But we also want to understand the importance or say the implication, application of what that means when we are the people of God. It means we have to meet somewhere. We have to have a place that is conducive to exalting the Lord, edifying the saints, and evangelizing the lost. The church is plural. It's not a me. It's it's an us. So as Ephesians 3, as I begin to wind it down, as Ephesians 3, 9 through 11 states, that the, the purpose, one of the purposes of the church is to be a witness. And Paul says, first, I'm appointed to make things clear to the Gentiles, but then he says to everyone... And then he includes the authorities and the principalities in heaven. So the church, the people of God gathered is so important to God that we are the very instrument to make the invisible God known to the world in the way we gather, the way we walk with him, the way we live with him, and the way we interact as the revelation of the New Testament instructs us to interact as the people of God with the one another's, with the practicing of the sacraments, with making disciples, and so forth. It's that important. And it takes a team, it takes a gathering to make this manifestation of the presence of God 
possible. So, practically speaking, to do this, we've got to have a place. Now, this is, this is how, I know this is how you understand our services. Now, we, we specifically meet here at a specific time. We've designed this building. Actually, people, that some that may still be here today, uh, played a big part in designing even how this place, meeting place would work. Now, we met in coffee houses. We met in homes. We met in rent, rented churches, and now this is where we meet as the people of God. Some thought went into the, the property and this particular building as how can we make it with the means, you've got to work with the means that you have. How can we make it conducive to really exalt the Lord and be the body of Christ? Now, when we come here, we worship God on a different level. We can worship the Lord in the field, on a lawnmower, in a cruiser car, in Hawaii on vacation. We can worship the Lord, and we should. But this is a different level when we gather as the people of God. Different things happen because God's designed it that way. We, we grow as an organism. And God gives us voices, again, gifts and talents, and we, but we lift up one voice to his glory. So as we gather, as we sing, as we fellowship, as we listen, as we're taught, or as we teach, we become a witness to a lost world that lives in darkness. Now, what, what we do here, even here, not just at home, but even here, is intended to be a witness of a manifestation of God to a lost world as we walk together. So my, my reasoning is, though the church is unequivocally the people of God, the place plays a part. There is some significance because we got to have a place to meet, right? But what we don't want to do is neglect that place. If that's the case. Now, the people took care of the temple when they were nomads, the tabernacle, they moved around, they took care of it. They mended it. They, they maintained it. There was a lot of work before the sacrifices were offered and after the sacrifices were offered. There was a lot of working activity to make that worship event possible. In our services, there is a lot of activity to make this possible. A lot of people pitching in in different ways to make this so it's before and after. That's the implication for us to to seriously consider not just the service itself, but the place that God has gifted us in order to make it possible for us to grow together and to grow in Him. So we want to maintain our high view of God, but we also want to realize that, yeah, it's just two-by-fours and sheetrock, but something sacred happens. Because God says, my presence is here. I've promised my presence here with you. And so something sacred happens in this place when we lift our voices as transformed people. When we come to this table in obedience to the commandment to do this in remembrance of me, 
you're meeting with God. You're meeting with the living God. So the presence of God is here, and that makes this special. Now, this is not my property. I don't own it. It's already paid for by the grace of God, right? I don't own this building. I know I'm the pastor of the church. It might surprise you because people think the pastor owns everything, does everything. You know, he, he, he's the, I don't own this church or this property. However, I'm responsible uh, for it as if I do own it. And so are you. Right? If this is the place where I meet God, I have some responsibility in that. And so do all the people that are called by God to be His people with this little gathering of local believers. So you see, it's, it's significant. So my challenge is that we would, we would, I guess, tighten our grip on the reality of the people of God as a gathered community. It's us. It's not a me. It's us as being a witness. It takes all of us to do this. None, no, not one of us can do it on our own. It takes all of us. There are different levels of maturity wherever we are in Christ or not. This is who we are. To be a witness. And it takes all of us to make this happen in the sense of also the place where our children can come and be taught. And where we can be, be immersed as a symbolism of our transformation and our confession. Where relationships can come together. It's just, just different than what we do at home. And it's supposed to be. It's not in comp- competition to, but it's supposed to be that way and just like in a church service not a few can make this happen we all need to do our part so we want to consider how good God is to us to give us this special place a lot of spiritual things happen in this special place now this is kind of a multi-purpose building only because we don't have anything else so we take the chairs out and set tables up and do fun things and eat and even play bingo here. Even play bingo in this place and have fun, people. Little competitive fun. The Old Testament, let me um, wrap it up with this. It's talking about the tabernacle. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, for when Moses was about to erect the tent, He was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. The Old Testament temple was a shadow or a pattern of God's design of worship that reflects worship that takes place in heaven. So that place was important. And as we are instructed in the New Testament how to be the people of God and how to worship Him, our services are also important And they are a visible manifestation of the holiness and the love of God. So back to Ephesians. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. God drew the plans for the Old Testament. God drew the plans for the New Testament. He drew the plans for what he wanted us to look like as a people of God, as a dwelling place of the presence of God. So we are that visual. We've met in homes. We've met in coffee houses. We've met in a rentature. We, we've met outdoors. We have met indoors. Now these grounds were once home and occasionally still are but are not supposed to be. These grounds were once home to herd of grazing livestock. But now this is our church home. This is our place. We don't treat it like a farm anymore. We treat it like a place that God uses to do His work. We, we decide what it's going to look like. We decide how big it's going to be. We decide how clean it's going to be, how well kept, how luxurious or how rustic, how warm or how cold. We decide what our place of worship is going to look like, how special, how, how cared for, how revered, or how well used. The place, this place, is a reflection of the people because the people who meet here are God's people. We exalt Him. We edify one another. And we evangelize the lost in this place. And we want to be that visual as the people of God for anybody that walks through those doors on any given day. So let's consider that as we continue to worship the Lord. May God bless the preaching of his word.